0: I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia, at thecommentary.ca. Aaron Volpatti joins me now. The former NHL player has just published a new book, Fighter Defying the NHL Odds. The book begins with Mr. Volpati recounting the horrific 2005 accident that resulted in second- and third-degree burns to over 40% of his body. He uh, narrates the journey from the Vancouver General Hospital burn unit, fighting as it were, to get to Brown University, playing NCAA hockey and graduating there, to realizing his dream to play in the National Hockey League. It's a riveting book that I've started and can't put down. We see an athlete overcoming staggering odds to make it, and, th- and it's uh, thanks to visualization, a practice that Aaron used and now uses to help athletes all over the world. I'll ask Aaron about his family, about cinematic visualization, and about how it's helped him, not just with his injuries, but with challenges on the ice in his career. He was a member of the Vancouver Canucks 2010-2011 season, when uh, the Canucks lost to Boston in Game 7 of the Stanley Cup Final, as well as um, off the ice, contending with his friend Rick Ripon's suicide in the uh, summer of 2011. What to do after his uh, professional hockey career, as well as challenges of his father's uh, father tony's als the book is now available now and information on it as well as personal appearances that aaron will be making for the book can be found on his website aaron a portion of profits for the book will be donated to the british columbia professional firefighters burn fund we uh, taped this interview last week with aaron joining me from lake country bc please uh, welcome to the Plant online program Aaron volpati mr. Volpati good morning
1: good morning thanks for having me on Joe
0: thanks for thanks for joining us um, the um, the thing that, that stri- stri- strikes me as I'm reading your book I'm about a third through is um, the uh, description the, the detail that you give about what happened uh, after April 20th 2005 um, I- I'm assuming that that um, you weren't able to remember a lot or were you
1: yeah, you know, it was a the whole incident was it was a very out of body experience. But I do remember what you know quite a bit. The only parts I, I don't remember are getting to the burn unit. I was obviously you know yeah. knocked out for that, and really the first couple days in the burn unit were were pretty foggy. Just you know, I was in a morphine induced. Coma. No, I wasn't actually in a coma, but you yeah. know, I was. I was. I was asleep, so I don't really remember. It was pretty foggy, but for the most part, I, I remember. I definitely remember most of it, other than those those two
0: parts. You, you evoke the the physical pain, um, as well as this assault on on the senses, so well in your writing, that I felt like I was there in the burn unit. Um, in terms of having to relive that as you, you write it in the in the book I mean what did that feel like was was that something that, that um, say brought back terrible memories if you will
1: no I think if I would have had a different experience you know on my journey after the burn unit and what that allowed me to do in my life uh-huh. then yeah we might be we might be having a different conversation but you know I would have never ever got to where I got to without this experience. Um, so, yeah, I think it, it definitely, I can look back, I would say, almost fondly in a way and, and use it, you know, really as a, a reflection of this power that it gave me in, in overcoming that. So I think it was, it was very therapeutic in a way, going back and, and reliving it. And you know it it does sometimes seem a little bit surreal. You know, I had to almost pinch myself in the writing and be like, "Man, I like." You almost forget you go through these this type of thing. And for me, I it definitely kind of reassurance isn't the right word, but it just it was like, "Oh yeah, I I did that," and uh, it was a crazy, crazy time. And and like it, you know, I tell everyone that it was this really extreme bout of adversity was really disguised as this amazing gift. I mean, I didn't know that at the time, mm-hmm. but but you know, that's a big theme in the book
0: too. And and uh proceeds of the book will will go to the Vancouver Burn Fund Clinic. I guess um uh that's the other thing that as as I'm reading the book, um one can't overstate is is just the the, the remarkable people that work there. And I guess yeah. the, those provide some fond memories for you, don't they?
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I always say the burn unit is one of the most terrifying places you could imagine, but mm-hmm. it's also, you know, one of the most special places because, yeah, those the burn injuries are, they're definitely one of a kind in terms of that just relentless pain and, you know, the, at the time, this, there were, I think, 10 beds in the burn unit. I'm not sure if that's changed, but... Uh-huh. So you're talking about the ten worst burns in the province, so you can imagine I don't know how many people live in B C but somewhere between four and eight million people say. Yeah, yeah. You know, the ten worst burns, it's it's not a good scene. Yeah. And yeah, the people that work there they're they have they're very special people. And like you said, the the proceeds of the book that was a big driving factor for me too in finally telling my story and not only just you know, inspiring people and and making a difference in people's lives, but but giving back on that front too was was a big driving factor.
0: The um, the idea of dying. I mean, you ask your 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 parents that as as you're you're being brought to Vancouver, uh, whether you will or not. And, and as we quick, quickly read in the book, um, <laughs> you obviously live. Um, yeah. But but the, the, having that idea in your head that that. Um, It could happen. I mean, what does that do to a young person, especially? I mean, what are you thinking about when you're you're thinking about that, that you could buy it, say?
1: Yeah, good question. So the reason that that thought popped into my head is because, you know, when you, or I should say, when I experienced that trauma and that incident specifically, it was this very odd dynamic of, Sure, I was in a an immense sense of you know state of panic, and you know I need to get this. I'm on fire. I can't get it out. Yeah. And obviously, you know, i I just. I just ran as you read. You know, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, that was the worst thing I could have done. But the uh, that fight or flight response kicks in, right? And mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I just remember, you know, going back to this, the dynamic I mentioned, where yes, there's a state of panic, but there was this very odd calmness and peacefulness to it. I, and that's, you know, when I thought, it, you know, could I die here? And that's when I got tackled from behind and, you know, put out finally. And, uh, yeah, it's a very out-of-body experience. And, and you, people that have near-death experiences, I think, often tell you that it it is has this odd peacefulness to it. And... As as you'll read in in the book, I think, you know, uh, later in the book, obviously, but there's a very there's two different ways of experiencing trauma that I've found, and and the first way is when it's happening to you,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you're you're almost along for this this ride, you know, and like I said, there's there's this odd calmness to it, and that's why, you know, I think maybe that's what dying feels like and I've I've faced that. On the flip side, I've watched people I love almost die. Mm -hmm. And that's when I relate it back to my parents and I can't imagine, you know, as a as a parent myself watching your your child or another loved one almost die in front of your eyes. And it's a very, very different way of experiencing trauma and arguably it's more traumatic you know at least for me um when you're the one in it versus you're the one watching a loved one go through something like that you're you're there's a, a an immense sense of helplessness there that is very traumatic um i don't know if that makes sense
0: but, no it does i mean i mean yeah. then i you mentioned your parents i can't um imagine what it was like for them to have to drive because you're being airlifted to vancouver and they have to drive were they in revelstoke um, yeah,
1: that I can't imagine getting that call either. Yeah, uh, my my mom collapsed to the floor. Th- they later told me, and yeah. because yeah, you think the worst. You get that call in the middle of the night, right? And
0: mm-hmm.
1: your son's been in an accident. The first thing you think are, are they alive? Obviously, right? Mm-hmm. And, um yeah, that that was that was a really really ominous drive for them. I know that.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you how your mom and dad are. How how is Tony? How 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 is Lana? How, how is Lana? today yeah
1: they're good they're they're good uh my dad actually so he has ALS, mm-hmm. unfortunately um and that's you know a big part of again as you'll read in the book there's a lot of moving parts and, and my dad and and I our relationship is a, a big theme in the book mm-hmm. and yeah it's it's been really hard on our family these you know these last she's had it for seven years so it's pretty remarkable how he's been able to to deal with it and you know i look up to him and and how he approaches every day and life in general and so yeah you know what we're they're good i i think it, it goes in waves with with any disease i think and um it's it's tough when you don't know what the future holds but but such is life and you know just try and take it a day at a time but it, it's a lot harder on my mom hmm you know, with, with the uncertainty there, they're both so young. They had me when they were teenagers, so, you know, my parents are really young still. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, so, yes, it's, it's hard. But, but I mean, yeah, everyone's considering it. We're doing pretty well, and I, I'm, I'm really happy that my dad is, is going to be able to read this book. And uh, so, quick funny story, they actually ended up picking up all my 500 books for these events I have coming up. They drove to or Victoria to grab them and mm-hmm. bring them back. Just last night, yeah, so, uh, it was a pretty special moment um, for them to, to do that, and then to be able to read it now. So I'm really happy that that he's able to,
0: to read this. So I skipped around. I read I read about the first quarter, and then I skipped around uh, through the book in preparing for a chat. There's a beautiful scene near the end of the book where your son Finn asks mm-hmm. him um, about uh, having ALS, and and um, yeah, I I, I I don't know why I brought it up because it's such a beautiful scene, and I think people should read the book for it, um, where he asks um, about the future. Your, your son does, and yeah. I just thought it was such a beautiful uh, part of the book. I don't know if you want to talk about it because it it it, it seems like it'll spoil a good story. I guess.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, we can I think still talk about it without spoiling per se, but yeah, it's, it's we have a pretty special bond. Uh, you know, obviously, like I said, my dad and I, and, and my son and I, and also, you know, my son and my dad. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's just, you know, as a six-year-old, he's almost seven now. And, you know, the thought of, of death, it, it's a complex subject for a little kid. And, yeah, he, as you've read, he just, you know, he asked my dad, you know, well, and he, we talk about it often, and he says, "You know, is Papa going to have ALS in heaven?" And I mean, I might get emotional talking about yeah, it, but yeah, yeah. but yeah, it's, it's it's a pretty it's a it's a really good ending to the book, I think, and just the the road that we've all been down. I mean, obviously, that's a very sad and emotional aspect to it, but yeah, my dad just he talked, he told Finn, and you know, just said. No, fin. Like Papa's gonna be stronger than ever. I'm not gonna have ALS in heaven. And um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely that was for me the most powerful. One of the most powerful parts of the whole the whole book, for sure, was just. I'm just so glad my dad's gonna remember, or sorry, my son's gonna remember my dad because you gotta remember he's had it for seven years. So right after my son was born, he got diagnosed, and I feared that. You know, Finn would never know my dad, and that—that's that's not the case. So I'm very thankful for that.
0: Yeah. You, you write about your dad. You—you you say in the book that he is caring. He's a, a fun-loving guy, but he doesn't. Fuck. He also doesn't fuck around. Um, th- this sort of fighter mentality. Th- this is what you took to the ice with you, right?
1: Absolutely, and and I think people often ask me that. You know, how did you have this mindset? You know. But, you know, going into the burn unit and in life, and I, I obviously had this, you know, awakening in the burn unit with this, you know, I, I call it an epiphany, mm-hmm. as, as I think you've read if you're that far, but just that moment when I got a phone call in the burn unit that flipped everything for me, and, but, you know, maybe that doesn't happen the, with, without the way I was, you know, raised, and, yeah, we had a very, very close, tight-knit family, Um, and my dad was, yeah, he's a very caring, very loving man. And, but when it, you know, if there's, if there's business to be dealt with, then it's not time to fuck around. And he taught me to, you know, stand up for myself and, and fight again. And that's, it's funny because, you know, a lot of people think fighter is, is based on my role in hockey. And it's Mm -hmm. actually really, really far from that, um, it, it, it happens to fit with that as well obviously but yeah that you know my that paternal line of all we we were fighters but not just in a physical sense and and i relate that back to my dad now of how he's fighting for you know the yeah. things he loves and and wants to protect and i was taught that at a young age unbeknownst to me at the time you know but yeah i look back and i'm like yeah, wow, I'm very thankful for being taught to to stand up and fight for what, what I believe in and, and want to protect, and, including my dreams, right? And that was a big, I think, reason why I was able to, to flip that switch in the burn unit.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, there's a moment there where you make peace that you may not be able to play hockey again. And then um, your coach uh, arranges for a phone call with a guy from Brown, and um, that motivates you to, to, to say, get better, if you will. Um, it, it was that the moment where, say, this idea of visualization, was that really where it really kicked in for you, that you were able to see uh, a, a better person, if you will, physically, that, that you were able to see health, say?
1: Yeah, absolutely that was. that was. And people always ask me that, you know, how did you discover visualization? And I had heard about it, you know, and in theory i guess of, of what it was but you know the reason that i started this visualization practice was because i, I was bedridden i couldn't move so my mind was all i had and mm. i i was stuck with those thoughts all day long and and you know for those first couple weeks they weren't good thoughts and again you i mean it's it's very difficult when you're in just such constant pain to have any positive thought right and Uh, so for me that was a big big challenge for the first couple weeks but when I get this call from from the you know the coach from Brown University and I hung up the phone and I just remember thinking you know I've worked my whole life to just get to talk to one of these NCAA scouts and I mean pro hockey was never even on my radar as a hockey player I wasn't you know, I wasn't really that good, I snuck into Junior A, and my, the NCAA was my NHL, Mm. so that was always my dream, right, and those first two weeks in the burn unit, I had succumbed to the fact that that would no longer be a possibility based on, you know, what my recovery was going to look like, and it was, it was a year, you know, not months recovery, we're talking years here, that's what the doctor relayed to me, right, and. So, but on the other hand, I was thankful that I would, was going to make a full recovery and it would take a long time, but, but I could live a relatively normal life with, you know, with some pretty gnarly scars and and that would be okay. But when I got that call, I, I remember hanging up the phone and, and again, I started asking, uh, or I started thinking about how I'd worked my whole life to just get this opportunity and now look where I am Mm. in the burn unit. And yeah, I just, I started asking myself questions why, so there's this big, big, long list of reasons why, you know, I couldn't play hockey, and infection was a very big one, with the burns, yeah. the skin grafts were going to be too limiting, too painful, I was going to be in a full body suit for two years, I, I couldn't sweat from the third degree grafted areas, which could have complications, and, you know, there's this, again, the big, long list of reasons, and I... I just flipped the switch that day, and I said, those aren't good enough for me. And if you're telling me it's going to hurt, then I'm okay with that. It's not going to be worse than what I've gone through. Uh, that was a little bit naive in thinking because it did get, <laughs> get worse. But, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, so, you know, the doctors were right. It, it took me two years to recover. I just, I just mixed in some hockey uh, along the way. <laughs>
0: Yeah it, it um it's, a, it's a, such a remarkable story there. Um so so when uh, so in terms of caring for your skin today cuz I kept wondering about this as I was reading the book. Um are, are you more conscious of that now? I mean w- whether it's uh say being in the sun or um say say doing certain things. I mean do, do you think about these things a little bit more now than say had you not had this accident?
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. I mean I, I make an effort to obviously you know put sunscreen on and it's just it's little things that you know the grass will dry out so uh, I keep trying to keep moisture on them you know for example if I go in a hot tub I need to rinse off and wash because otherwise they get you know just aggravated so mm-hmm. and the, and they're just they are stiff like if I if I have a stretch I, I notice the stiffness but um, so uh, yeah, they are they are top of mind for the most part. I mean, it was different when they were very discolored for for a few years in purple, where or
0: now early, they're just yeah.
1: they're just part of me, and I don't think about it as often for sure, but um, yeah, I hope that answers your question yeah. there I think the, the
0: the The lesson I guess, as one reads the book is that, that there's a lot in life that's tough, but if, if you want to do something anything. Um, nothing's impossible is it
1: yeah exactly that that i think a big message in the book is we're all capable of a lot more than we think and i happen to get thrust into that world through this experience and yeah it just it just opened up this whole new world of possibility that that i discovered through adversity and i'm not obviously advocating for anyone to, you know, go play with fire or, yeah, or yeah, yeah. try and hurt themselves, right? Yeah. But I think we all know, and I've found this as I've gotten older, adversity, A, it, it's relative for mm-hmm. all of us. And I think, B, it, it's coming whether we like it or not at some point. in in whatever form it may take, we're all going to experience that. And for me, what I've realized is every piece of you know, success or greatness I've had has always, always been preceded by really extreme adversity. And as I've gotten older I've I've reflected and I'm able to, to know that, you know, that's not by accident. Like that's where the most growth and opportunity has has arisen for me was through these, you know, bouts of adversity. And I think being able to relay that and inspire people that you know to to essentially write their own comeback story right of when you're what feels like maybe the depths of hell or you're going through a tough time and again I don't you know I don't wish that for anyone but but it's it's often going to going to come in some form like I said and there's an opportunity there for 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 all of us to write you know our own amazing story and you know the greater the adversity the greater the story and i think that's that's an important you know piece to realize there
0: well when people see you um uh say in public or see you on the street if you will um i I guess you are recognized um do they ask you about how the canucks are doing i mean i ask that because you were part of that that 2010-11 season where, where, where the canucks made it to the stanley cup final um, yeah, I, I'm sure people just want to talk hockey and 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 ask you or or perhaps just tell you what they think. I mean, does that happen a lot?
1: Uh, yeah, I don't. I would say I get recognized any anymore for sure. Um, you know, maybe in my hometown uh-huh. in, in Revelstoke and things like that. But
0: people people
1: ask me. I would say fairly often about the Canucks. I was actually a, had a call yesterday and, and they asked me. You know what would you what would you say if you were in the Canucks dressing room right now? <laughs> right. And, yeah. And I was like, oh, that's no putting no pressure on me. But I, I I related it just back to the whole adversity piece, you know. And they're obviously struggling, and you know, again, I think the story could be that much sweeter if if you're able to reframe it and, and use that to write, again write your own comeback story. You know, in this sense, that would be as a team and. I think that's where the visualization piece can be so so huge and, and almost act as this guiding star, right? And then um, every every choice you make, every action you take is always you know, pulling on that same rope to that guiding star and then your confidence changes, your you the way you feel and and act, you know, changes to reflect that. So I mean that's that's what I said and I yeah. I think, you know, it's it's a yeah, it's obviously a tricky time, you know, for for the Canucks. And again, I think if they're able to reframe that. They'll come out of it, and you know, and it could be that much better of a, of a season because of because of the adversity, right?
0: Hey, you remind us in the book of, about the year twenty eleven. I mean, that was the year that that, that uh, the Canucks made it to the Stanley Cup final, and then that summer, that uh, um, that was the summer of Rick Ripon's suicide. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a yeah. tough year in, in, in one's life. And so, um, th- this idea of visualization, did that help you get through it?
1: Yeah, it, it, it definitely did. I, that was, yeah, like you said, it, it was, uh, a, a challenging year. You know, I, it really made me think and, and really dig deep. Um, I mean, a, for, you know, well, for one, just with rip, obviously, and, and, and rest in peace, Rip, but it was such a, I, I had, I was just naive to the whole, um, you know, things he was dealing with, and it really made me dig deep within myself to to explore, you know, how, what, what's the rest of my life going to look like, am I okay, and it, it really made me check in with myself, and I think, you know, the whole um, dialogue now is changing, and awareness is changing for the better, where it was always, we were always told to never show weakness, right, as, mm-hmm. a, as a hockey, and I think this this was a big problem for just men in general,
0: yeah.
1: right, especially in the hockey world, where we, we didn't feel comfortable talking if, if we felt not okay, and, and that's changed, and now you're, you're actually considered sh- strong. Um, I think we, we still have you know some a ways to go, but again, you, you're considered strong if, if you speak up and say, hey, uh, I'm not quite right here, I need to get help, and or just talk to someone where, and I imagine, you know, maybe Rip, Rip was going through some of that, right? And mm-hmm. so, yeah, it was definitely a challenging summer, but I think it, it definitely made me reflect and... Um, but it it also did you know cause some anxiety around you know the fighting piece a little bit later on in my career. Mm-hmm. Just um, again, you you just reflect back to these these moments, right? And so, yeah, it was it was a challenging time for sure.
0: I understand that you teach visualization today. Um, is that only to athletes?
1: I I primarily work with athletes. Yeah, my my obviously this spills over into, to anyone's life. Mm -hmm. Um, so my, my long-term vision with this is, is definitely to reach, I mean, as many people as as possible. And so that would be more of a consulting type of, type of role with, with different companies. And I mean, I do some speaking with, with organizations and, and companies where, you know, we can hit on, on this theme of visualization and, so that's my long-term vision. You know, I've, I've gotten this book out, and I still, you know, work with athletes. But, but yeah, I, I would like to expand that, you know, to, to the whole world, ideally. And yeah. uh, I've, I've had to learn that you've got to lay the foundation down. And, you know, when I first started this journey a, a couple years ago, I, I tried to do everything at once, and uh, it didn't quite work that way. So just kind of laying the pieces down, and yeah, it's been it's been very, very rewarding, uh, you know, with the athletes I've worked with so far, and it's it's been an awesome journey. So that's that's the vision, anyways, is to get to expand this thing and and reach more
0: people ultimately. Yeah, I mean, dealing with say performance anxiety, a lack of confidence, self doubt. I mean, these are things that that that. Um the people you work with have to contend with but i mean all of us have to deal with with these things to a certain degree throughout our lives whatever we do right
1: oh absolutely and i think i think it's even more prevalent now in in the newer younger generations with just the world that you know we live in now of you know the instant gratification the social media the you know it's it's not surprising that there's such a massive increase in performance anxiety and confidence issues with with all that pressure now right yeah and so i think these tools are you know not just helpful i think they're just they're necessary especially like i said with these some of these younger generations for sure so
0: it, it's such a, a, a marvelous read, Aaron, and and I'm, I, I can't wait to get back to it and finish the book. Uh, congratulations on it, and all the best with, with with everything. Thanks for your time today.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I should say you can you can get the book on Amazon or my website, AaronValpatty dot com. And as you mentioned at the start, that that initiative there to support the burn fund. So for for the first fifty four days here, forty percent of the profits will go to that. So so yeah, if you. You want to buy the book, that's, that's where to
0: get it. The website for more is at AaronVolpatti.com. The book is called Fighter, Defying the NHL Odds. Its author, Aaron Volpatti, joined me on the line from Lake Country, British Columbia in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.